Today we are on part six of the fruit of the spirit. I don't know how many of you have enjoyed that, but if you have missed any of these, I encourage you to go back and re-listen. <clears throat> and remember that producing the fruit of the spirit is not a hard thing. It's, it's easy when you're in the spirit. And um, in Galatians uh, tells us, it says, it says, walk in the spirit, live in the spirit. You know, in, in chapter five, I think it's verse 16. It says, walk, live habitually in the spirit. Because this way you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. So it's pretty simple. If you're not being loving, kind, patient, you know, in peace uh, and all that stuff, it's because you're not walking in the spirit. You've all of a sudden left the spirit and now you're walking in the flesh. And you got to remember this. The flesh is dead. When you were born again, the, dead, the old man is dead. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. So why is it that sometimes you walk in the flesh? Because it's the bad habits of the soul that are still being renewed, you know, in, inside of you, that, that your soul's still being renewed, right? Romans 12, uh, 2 tells us, be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And so because we're still being transformed, there's things on our flesh that sometimes, you know, we, we slip into those back, uh, bad habits and... Uh, and it's not like we lost our salvation. It's not like we are bipolar and we have two personalities. You know, I'm the old man today. I'm the No, you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. That cannot be undone. See, you were born out of sin before. And when you were born again, you were born out of an uncorruptible seed. And that means they cannot be corrupted. That means that your actions and your external uh, choices, the bad ones, the mistakes, the sin, cannot corrupt your nature of who you are when you were born again. Who you became when you were born again. Are you following me? Okay. And so, you know, it is not hard to walk in the spirit, but we have to train ourselves when we notice that, wait, my kindness meter is not going up, it's going down. How many of you have been kinder this week? Oh boy. Hold on. I got to go back to last week's message. <clears throat> I'm not giving it a shot. How many of you have been kinder this week? And I know you can't lie because your spouse right next to you, they'd be like, but our kinder meter needs to go up. We need to become more aware of that, right? Because when we're not kind, we, you know, I'm not going to preach last week's message. Just go and listen to it, okay? Um, be kind. That's right. Remember, just be kind. You can. You have everything inside of you to walk in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and the rest of them. And today we're going to talk about goodness, okay? Goodness. And to talk about goodness, we need to talk about the goodness of God first. And I love the, the worship, you know, the, the songs. Everything Maria was saying is like, ah, oh, that's in my message. Ah, oh, that's in my message, you know. And then Carrie gets up here and just lights the place on fire with that word. It's just so powerful because God is good is not a cliche. God is good is not a, you know, yeah, that sounds good. It's probably true. I've been here for a long time. God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. You know, it's not, it's not just that. You know, how are you doing? I'm good. It's not the same thing. And understanding the goodness of God is actually a core value of our church. The goodness of God is one of our foundational core values. Because if we don't understand and we don't have that settled, then the whole foundation is, is on sand. And it'll shift. If we don't understand the goodness of God and we don't have that settled in our hearts, then when, any, when 
storms come or things happen, we will shift everything. We will shift our theology, our purpose, our destiny, the plan of God for our lives. Everything will change, will crumble, and it will not be in a firm foundation. So we need to understand the goodness of God first because that doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And just because we don't understand the Old Testament completely, it doesn't mean that he's not good. And so um, how we view God and perceive God will affect how we relate to him and how we receive from him. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse um, 1, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals and the Lord God, that the Lord God had made. And one day, the serpent asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat of the fruit of any of the trees in the garden? You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat from it, and you will be like God knowing both good and evil. And I, I jumped over to verse 5 and 6. And so the very first thing that God, that the devil attacked from the very beginning was, number one, is God really good? Or is he withholding from you? I think, you know, are you sure? You know, because this fruit is really good. And the second thing was identity, right? Because he said to her, said, if you eat of this, you will be like God. It was like a... In Mexico City, there's, there's, a, there's a part of town you don't want to drive by because if you drive by it, you will come out of it possibly naked. But, um, you know, because you won't notice. You just drive by it and, like, pff, they'll take stuff off your car and everything, like, you know. And so there was a story. This guy come up to the traffic, like, red light, you know, and he was missing a couple hubcaps on, on, on his tires in the car. And so all of a sudden, guy shows up. He's like, hey, I know you're missing the hubcaps. You know, I'll sell you the hubcaps. Here you go, you know. And so, all right, real quick, you know, life's turning green. He's like, yeah, he's 20 pesos, right? He's sell the hubcaps, you know. He gets home with two hubcaps. He realized they just took the ones from one side, put, you know, sold them to him while he was on the other side. And so what they were just selling to him what was already his, and that's what the devil did right here in Genesis. He's like, hey, if you, um, if you eat of this, then you'll be like God. But God had already made man in his likeness and image. So he was trying to sell them back their identity that God had already created them in their likeness and image. They were already like God. And so he's attacking, you know, is God really good? I think he's withholding from you. So that's the lie number one. And so many people are still trapped today in that very lie. You know, is God really good or is he withholding from you? And you're not really like God. You're less than. You're not good enough. And so when we understand the goodness of God, then we can understand that we're also good. Because when we don't know that we are good and we've experienced any kind of rejection, we will believe an underlying lie that says you're not good enough. And your identity will not be fully how he meant it to be. You know, and, and isn't that a question that so many of us have struggled or struggled, you know, at different times in life or for long periods of time or, or maybe still today you're struggling with that. Am I good enough? Am I good enough? You know, the promises of God, like we were saying in our yes and amen, but why haven't I seen him in my life? Am I good enough? Maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I don't have enough faith. Maybe I'm not worthy enough. Maybe I'm not holy enough. Maybe I'm not righteous enough. And we go back to that same doubt that the devil planted in the garden. Are we good enough? 
Anybody's ever dealt with that? All right. And so, you know, when the woman was convinced God wasn't looking, you know, she, that she was convinced that God wasn't looking out for her best, she believed the lie and led her to sin. And it changed everything, right? And so, we cannot question the goodness of God. There has to be something we sell in our hearts today that God is good, only good, always good. And I know for some people that's been a struggle, right? Because religion has said different things. And the problem is we start making, we start changing our theology based on our experiences. And we start changing our theology and watering our theology down to the level of our experience instead of waiting in faith and standing patiently in faith until our experience rises up to the level of the Word of God. And so that's what I'm saying. We cannot change the foundation core value that the goodness of God never changes, that he is good, always good, and only good, because then everything else will also shift. And confusion will come in. Um, James chapter 1, verse 6, and, 6 through 8, it tells us, says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a way of... A wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind, right? Like back and forth. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So again, not double personality, not, you know, Heckle and Jekyll and, what is it? Jekyll and Hyde, right? Heckle and Jide, same thing, right? (laughs) But instead, it's it's saying like, you know, you're, you're wavering, like, you believe I'm good, and then you, you're not so sure that I'm good. You believe my promises, and then it didn't happen yet, and so now you stop believing my promises. And, and so he says, someone who is double-minded is not going to receive anything from God. So the devil knows this. So if he can sow that seed, and he can make us question the goodness of God, if he can make us question that we are good, that we are worthy, just by our faith, if he can make us question that, then it puts all the promises of God with a big question mark. Is that for me? I'm not sure anymore. Did he really say that? I'm not really sure anymore. I think it's only for some people. I think it's only for ministers. I think it's only for missionaries. I think it's only for those that go to church every Sunday and never miss. (laughs) We don't want you to miss, but we can't tell you that that's why, right? It's only for those that serve. We can't tell you that either. Because it is for who? It is for those that are his children. And how do we become children? We became the children of God by believing that Jesus died on the cross, rose on the third day, and we repent from our sin, and we ask him to come into our heart and be our Savior, be our Lord, right? We declare with our mouth, we believe in our heart that he is Jesus, the Son of God, who was risen from the dead. And that's it. If you believe that, you're saved. And you're given the power to become a what? A child of God. You're a child of God. And we're all his favorite. And all his promises are yes and amen. Say, all his promises are yes and amen for me. And I said, Lord, I believe, but help my own belief. (laughs) Right? Because... We say that, we know it says it here, but sometimes we have a hard time believing it's also for us. 
Because that's the other side of that coin, is that we believe God is good. Yes, God is good, but I'm not good. And that's why it's not happening for me. <clears throat> and so, that's the reason why many don't receive from God. They change their mind. They change what, the, what they believe about God depending on their life circumstances and the world's status and what's going on around them. Um, here's another reason why God is good. Maria talked about this one too. He's a good father. He's a good father. And in um, Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, said, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? It says, you're all right. But we all want to be the best parents, right? None of us who are parents ever you know, woke up or got married saying, Man, we're going to be the worst parents ever. Like, you know, Guinness record, like worst parents ever. No, nobody ever wants to be the worst parent. We actually, everybody probably just tries their best. You know, and just because some of them aren't very good doesn't mean that they don't want to be good. You know, some people just, all they have to work with is what they know, what they grew up with, right? That's the standard that was given to them. But everybody you talk to is like, yeah, I just want my kids to do better than me. I just want my kids to do better than me. You know, whether it's a drug addict on the street or whether it's somebody who is in church. Like, they all just want their kids to do better than them. So we have good plans and good desires for our kids, right? None of us, you know, want to, our kids to turn up bad. And God's saying, if you, wanting that, and you who are not perfect, you know, want good things for your kids, how much more me? You know, I think so many times we attribute to God abusive parent behavior. Right? And, uh, and we're like, yeah, no, God sent me that sickness, you know, because he's teaching me something. Like, hmm. Would you, would you, being less good than God, Send sickness to your kid to teach him a lesson? Okay, I only heard two no's. Okay, again, would you do that? No. Oh, God. Like, Lord, I don't want to file a bunch of CPS reports this week. Things are questionable. <laughs> uh-uh, right? Like, none of us would, but yet we attribute God characteristics of parents who should have CPS called on them. <laughs> He's so much better than us. How could we ever say something like that? Let me tell you, if you wouldn't do it, he definitely wouldn't do it. He's a good father. He's a good, good father. You know, when he received the prodigal son, that's a picture of the heavenly father right there. The extravagant father in Luke 15. And when he received his son... From having wasted everything, comes back, you know, what, what does he do? Like, he just receives him, arms wide open, celebrates him, reinstates him as son. And he's just happy that he's home. And if that's how good God is, how could we ever think, you know, he, he's like teaching us a lesson by sending some bad things our way. You know, storms aren't from God. <clears throat> a house divided against itself will not prosper. That's what the Bible tells us. When Jesus got on that boat and the storm came up, it wasn't Jesus sending that storm. It wasn't Jesus like, 
You know, like, here we go. Let's send the test. It wasn't him. I watched too many Marvel movies, you know. <laughs> it wasn't him sending the storm. Well, he was in the storm, and what did he do? He told the storm to be quiet and to calm down. So why would we ever think that God sends us storms? If anything, it's the devil. God is good, the devil's bad. If you're going to blame someone, blame the devil. And if you blame the devil a little too much, make sure you have people around you to tell you when, no, that was not the devil. That was your dumb choice. Because if we blame the devil all day long for everything we do, ah, I have diabetes now because I've only ate donuts. That devil, man, he just puts them right there in front of me all the time, all the time, right? I'm going to tell you, no, 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 hold on, you know. You know, if we always blame somebody else, we have no responsibility. And if we always blame the devil, I'm not saying the devil doesn't attack us. He does, okay? He tries through many ways. But, but what I'm saying is, if we're always blaming the devil, then what kind of weak Christians are we? And do we not have authority in the name of Jesus? Which we do. Right? We do. Hmm. So anyways, God is not bipolar. He doesn't send sickness and then send healing. Only your dentist does that, you know. <laughs> All right, we're done with this cavity. Is you want a popsicle? <laughs> what? Like he does that to my kids. I'm not making this up. I'm like, no, no, I just paid hundreds of dollars. What's wrong with you, man? <laughs> Switching, like, he's like, he, he found the trick. He knows how they're going to come back next month. It's like, no, mm-mm. You know, but God's not like that, you know? He's not bipolar. He doesn't send sickness so then he can heal. He doesn't do that stuff. That would be psycho. Hmm. God is good. Um, Jesus is perfect theology. So this, I'm going to tell you what that means because... Any Old Testament questions that you have are answered in the life of Jesus, okay? Um, Jesus was sent, right, to be our uh, sacrifice, but he was also sent to, to show us the Father. In John chapter 14, verse 8 and 9 says, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, have, you been, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show you, uh, to show him to you? So why? Because Jesus is the perfect representation of the Father. You know, in, in the Gospels, it also tells us that Jesus did and said everything he heard the Father say and he saw the Father do. And so Jesus came to represent Father God to us. And in Acts 10.38 tells us that Jesus went about doing good and sometimes some bad? No. Only good. Jesus went about doing good. Why? Because he is good. Only goodness can come from him. And so Jesus went about doing good. And he healed all that came to him. Like, there's no exceptions. So he, that shows us what... The will of the Father is. The will of Father God is to heal all and to do good to all. And Jeremiah 29, 11 tells us that 
he knew is before, right? And that he has a good plan and a good purpose for us. He doesn't have a good plan and a bad plan in case you misbehave. No, he only has a good plan for you. But he's given us freedom. Because love is in love without freedom. And freedom is in freedom without the option of choosing wrong. Right? That's why there was one tree in the garden. One tree that was the wrong option. Because if there wasn't one tree that was the wrong option, it wouldn't have been true freedom. And he truly loved us. Right? It would be a fantasy. You know, say you're free if there's no option to make a mistake. And so in the same way, you know, why do bad things happen sometimes? Because we choose wrong. And we have the freedom to walk away from him. We have the freedom to ignore him. We have the freedom, you know, to make bad choices. And sometimes the devil is involved in it, and sometimes he doesn't even have to. Um, so Jesus is perfect theology. He's the perfect representation of the Father. And so if you have a question, you know, about the goodness of God, you have to go find it in the life of Jesus. And if you can find it in the life of Jesus, then that's good theology right there. But things change from the Old Testament to the New Testament. The Old Testament was, you know, the law. It was to show us we needed a Savior. It was to show us our sin. But Jesus was the answer to that. See, in the Old Testament, um, the prophet calls down fire, you know. And then he kills a bunch of prophets from the other side, you know, the prophets of Baal. In the New Testament, the disciples asked Jesus, hey, do you want us to do that same thing that we saw in the Old Testament, you know, and call down fire? And Jesus is like, no, of what spirit are you? Why? Because Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save the world. Okay? And so that settles what the will of God is. Romans 12, uh, 2 says, you know, be transformed by the renewing of your mind because this is how you will know what the good, what the what? What the good and perfect will of God is. So his will is only good and it's only perfect. Just sometimes our experiences mess us up a little bit because we start asking and wondering, well, where's God? Where was God? Why hasn't God done this? And that's where we need to learn to celebrate what he has done and not what hasn't happened. But see, we have to build from that foundation that God is good, only good, and always good. Therefore, anything outside of that must have a different explanation. A friend of mine says it this way. Um, he says, when a plane falls off the sky... Nobody ever questions gravity. There's a million reasons, probably thousands of reasons why that airplane could have fallen, right? And they do all this research and, and they look at the weather, at the wind, they look at the altitude, at the speed, and they look at, at the airplane, they look at all the you know, instruments and what failed, right? They have this black box that records everything. And um, Kyle, is that black box really black? Okay, it's not black. Okay, so... <laughs> They have the box, you know, that records everything. And why? Because they want to know what went wrong. They want to know what happened, what made the airplane fall off the sky. 
you know, they look at the pilot, they investigate the pilot, right? Was he driving, was he driving, was he flying under the influence? Was he, you know, was he in a depression? Was, was it intentional? They look at everything, but what do they not look ever? Gravity. They don't look at gravity. Why? Because that's always the same. That never fails and never changes. If it did, do you know how many millions of other variables that would open up? And you wonder why people are confused. It's because they're starting to question the one thing that we should never question, and that is that God is good. Because when you do, everything is up for grabs. And the lies of the enemy will not stop coming to you if you ever question that God is good. And here's the next thing. And here's where we're going. Because if God is good, you know, and something isn't happening, then the next thing I'm going to go after is me. I'm not good. I'm not good enough, not worthy enough, haven't worked hard enough, haven't read my Bible enough, haven't prayed enough, I've never fasted a day in my life, and I am having a hard time with tithe. So I must not be good enough. And then we start questioning that. And when we start questioning that, you know, now we're beating ourselves up. Now we're in shame, in condemnation. The Bible tells us also that to those who are in Christ, there is no what? No condemnation. So guess what? It's not that either. You know how hard it was at the beginning, and I have hard days sometimes still, you know, to understand why my leg isn't completely healed yet. I, um, when I was, uh, I received the Holy Spirit when I was 15 years old, saw miracles, but when I was 18 years old, um, I, I went to travel with this evangelist. Uh, out of out of uh, Raymond Bible College, you know, he was out of here, and that's when I met Dan. I was 18 years old, and uh, and we had this miracle crusade, and we were in Mexico, and there was about nine, ten thousand people in this stadium. And the evangelist gets up, and the first night I hear him say this. He goes, "If there's no miracles tonight, Jesus isn't alive." I was like, "Oh boy, God, please do something. This fool just put your reputation on the line." Well, we saw the most incredible miracles, you know, we had ever seen at that point. We saw people getting out of wheelchairs, like they were literally leaving their wheelchairs in the stadium and going home without them. Crutches, all all kinds of things. Blind eyes open, deaf ears open, um, instant miracles. And that became normal. Went on to Central South America, Brazil, you know, I would pray for blind people and their eyes would just open up right there. People that wear glasses, they're like, ah, I want God to heal me. God can heal me. Boom, pray for them. Left their glasses. I remember I still have some, some of those glasses as God trophies somewhere stashed in, you know. Uh, because it was amazing. It was one after another, one after another, the miraculous power of God moving, healing people. Wow. And then we had, um, you know, ever since that, you know, we believe for miracles. We pray for miracles. We expect miracles to happen. Then we go to, uh, we, we were in, in our church before this building, um, and we just started teaching on healing one day and went on for months because every Sunday after service, we just stayed like another 45 minutes to an hour just praying for the sick because there was just instant miracles happening, instant miracles. Like, like some lady was sitting right there on the third row, and all of a sudden she hears this cracking going on on her feet. 
and she looks, she takes the shoes off, and now she has arches, where she had flat feet her, her, her whole life, right? We've heard miracles of people getting healed from cancer and diabetes. You know, we've heard uh, Veronica's mom, who was on the way to you know, the OR, you know, ready for surgery, golf-sized ball on her shoulder, and they open up ready, and they're like, wrong side. And they open up the other side, they're like, where is it? It's gone. Instant miracles, not just in third world countries, but here. And so I'm used to miracles. I was actually surprised that they had to do the first surgery and the second surgery and the third surgery. I'm actually surprised that I'm not healed yet. You know, I'm like, what is happening? But there's the temptation to question the goodness of God. No, I'm not going to do that. And to lower it, lower his, his word to my experience. That would be a big mistake, but so many people do that, right? And we create all kinds of new theologies and denominations because we haven't experienced what is right here on the Word. Instead of just standing in faith and in patience till we inherit the promises. And so, you know, it didn't happen instantly for me. It hasn't happened instantly for me. Uh, I have definitely seen progress. I've seen the hand of God. And, and here's the thing. When, when you start focusing on what hasn't happened, you forget what really did happen. Right? And so I remind myself, I have a leg. I'm thankful that I have my leg. Because the doctor, you know, when I ask him, hey, hey what's going on? Why isn't this better yet? You know? He, he, even he reminds me. He's like, well, you know, I just want to remind you. It was a pretty severe case. Like, most people lose their leg when that happens. He's like, oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> And I also, I remember that I, I landed on the ground. You know, it was, a, it was a big fall. And right next to me is a rebarb just sticking out of the ground. I'm like, Phew. you know, so, so we remember and we celebrate what God has done before. And we wait patiently until our experience becomes the word of God. I don't stop praying for the sick either because that's another temptation. How am I going to pray for someone who is sick when I am limping myself? But see, the Word of God doesn't change with our experience. The Word of God doesn't change with our circumstances. He's still the same. And the other thing that I can't do is I can't go beat myself up, be like, how can I preach about healing and faith when I haven't seen my own miracle? Well, then it'd be easy to disqualify myself and beat myself up and think, I'm not good enough. I don't have enough faith. I don't have this or that. Because we've also learned through religion sometimes and, and through some you know, wrong teaching that if you haven't seen the breakthrough yet or you haven't seen the miracle, then there's probably something wrong with you. Oh, you're sick? Hmm. I wonder what kind of sin you're in. Oh, you're poor? Hmm, I wonder what kind of sin you're in. Huh, you're, right? It's so easy to make those conjectures and those assumptions. But I want to suggest to you that many times it's, it's not God. He hasn't changed. Definitely, It's never God, right? But it's not us either. Because I wake up every morning, you know, and I remind myself and I'm like, okay, I'm ready to get out of bed. This is it. Is this it? I'm like, this might be the day, you know? When I get up, I'm like, I check my leg every time. Because I'm expecting, constantly, I'm expecting every day, this could be the moment I get up and it's completely healed. 
I don't give up hope. You shouldn't give up hope either. Because when we give up hope, then we start going downhill. And everything goes down with when hope is up. And so I, I expect that every day. I speak to my leg every day. I'll tell you uh, one more thing I did. Uh, um, there's a lot of things that I've done, and you know I have a whole teaching on telling you my whole journey, my whole healing journey and all that stuff. But, um, you know, I, I never turn down prayer because it could be a child, it could be a youth, it could be a person in the store that comes to pray for me and that's the time, you know, that God chose to use for that to happen, you know. I, I don't. So I never turn down prayer. And then um, I also believe in doing my part. So I've been taking all these supplements. Somebody told me, it's like, hey, take Knox gelatin and, you know, drink it every day because that'll help your collagen and your articulation. Yeah. So guess what? I take it twice a day. You know, I drink it down and, and I have all these supplements and I have all these vitamins and I have all, all this stuff. You know, somebody gives me, you know, a new thing. It's like, hey, put this on. It's going to be amazing. I put it on, you know, all, all natural stuff. Of course, I'm not in any kind of medications or anything like that. Um, and, uh, because I'm like, I'm going to do my part. You know, I, I do my workouts, I exercise, I do all this stuff, right? And so it was a few weeks ago, and I was like, I told God, God, I'm spending like all this time, you know, drinking this and drinking this and drinking that. And, drink. and I just got tired. And I just, I was like, I'm done. I'm done. And I had to go and pray, and I had to just, you know, check my heart and be like, okay. I don't have a problem doing these things, but I got to make sure that it's not the doing of these things that, I, my, that my faith is put on, but just him. And so I had to just take a couple days off of all the stuff and, and just get back to a place of peace and rest and realize, you know, it's, it's God ultimately who's going to heal me. It's not if I forget to take the gelatin this day or if I forget to take the supplement. Like, I'm not being foolish, but I also need to remember is God is my healer. God is my, and I need to, everything that I do is good, but I have to do it from a place of rest. If I ever feel like I'm doing this, and if I don't do this, and I'm like, I fall into performance and works again, right? And now it depends on me. And so I've slowly started taking the gelatin again, and if I forget one day, I'm okay, you know? And guess what? I feel better today than yesterday, you know? And I thank God. I'm like, God, I'm better today than yesterday. Thank you, Lord. And I celebrate that. You know, because regardless of what my experience is, you know, I'm, I'm going to be jumping around and playing basketball again, like, soon. Really soon, you know. Whatever it takes. Like, I know God's going to do it, uh, whether he uses doctors or he doesn't. But I will never question the goodness of God. And I will never put myself under condemnation. Because the moment I do that, then I really become useless. It puts all of the promises of God at stake when I question his goodness. And it says in um, Psalm 38, uh, 34, 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Hmm. James 1, 17 says, every good gift comes from God, and in him there's no variation, no shadow of turning. You know what that means? That means that no matter what angle you look at God from, no matter what perception, where you see God from, there's no shadow. 
he's always liked. He's always good. No matter where you look at God from, he's always good. Only good. Amen? Mm. And so our view and perspective of God will determine how we relate to him, how we receive from him, how we read the Bible, how we trust them, how we see ourselves, and how we see our purpose. He's good. He has good will, perfect will, and good plans for me. That's it. I cannot change what I believe by what I see. That's the very definition of faith. Right? What are you believing for? What promises, you know, you're like, boy, I'm really needing to use patience on this promise. Which one is that for you? Romans 15, 14 says, I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness. Tell the person next to you, you're full of goodness. You're full of goodness. Filled with all knowledge, able to also admonish one another. You know, goodness is speaking about nature. Your nature is good. You're good at nature. You've all heard the story of the, the turtle and the scorpion, right? The the, the scorpion wants to get to the other side of the, of the river and ask the turtle if, if, the, if he could jump on her back to go across the river, you know, because he can't swim, but she can. And the turtle's like, no way, you're going to sting me. And, and uh, the scorpion's like, no, pretty please, pretty please, you know, I won't sting you, I won't sting you, I promise, I promise, I promise. Please take me over to the other side. i got to reunite with my whole family, blah, 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 yeah. And so I made, I made more stuff up on it. But anyways... <laughs> The turtle's finally like, okay, you know, so he jumps on the back, you know, and starts swimming across, and halfway, you know, across the river, boom, feels a sting right here on the neck. The turtle looks at it, he says, as she's starting to feel numb and starting to die, she's like, what did you do? And the scorpion goes, sorry, it's in my nature. You know, we're not like that scorpion. We have a new nature, an uncorruptible nature. And in that nature, there's goodness. And God created you good and only good. You're good. When he created everything, he said it was good. When he created man, he blessed them. And then at the end of all creation, he said, he looked at everything, including man, and he said it was very good. Very good. Tell the person next to you, you're very good. Very good. Hmm. See, we don't have a problem saying God is good all the time, but can you say, I am good? I am good. Oh, you know that? That's good. But it just feels a little different, right? Because we know. We know what we've done. I know what you did last summer, right? <laughs> Where'd you came that? <laughs> and so, <sighs> sorry. I never saw that movie, just saying. <laughs> never saw that movie. I only saw the title. I was like, ooh, creepy, you know. But um, we're good. Like, there's goodness inside of us. That's good news. Because if there wasn't goodness inside of us, then we couldn't be sure that what's coming out of us is good. Right? And how many of you are more comfortable talking bad about yourself than good about yourself? Right? That's not good. Because you think you're being humble, 
You think you're like being all pious, like, yeah, no, I'm not that good. You know, I'm, I'm really bad. I'm really bad at this, you know. I'm, I'm so disorganized. I am, you know, so undisciplined. I eat terrible. I am so bad. I am, oh, I'm always in a bad mood, right? And we just think it's like, oh, ha, 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 so funny. It's not okay to say that. If you come to my house and you look at a painting I have in my house that I made, you know, and you, you don't know I made it, but you start talking bad about it, you're not insulting the painting. I'll be like, mm, well, I made that. You're insulting the painter, the artist, right? And the Bible tells you, you did not make yourself. You didn't create yourself. You know, Psalms uh, 139... Says you were fear. One thirty-nine, verse fourteen says, "I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well." Right? <laughs> like? That's what he's saying. He's like, "I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful." Hello, I am your work. Can you speak that confidently about yourself? Well, I don't know. Maybe when I get in shape. No, stop it. We're talking about your nature. You're good in nature. Because you're created by a God who is good. The artist only had a good uh, run in his creation. He didn't have a bad season of creating. Like, oh, you know, everybody I created from, you know, from the 20s to the 80s were good. But after the 80s, I really slacked. I was just having a hard time. So everybody I made after the 80s just turned out. No, he's not like that. You see uh, singers and artists and composers like, you know, their work is their life is reflected in their work, right? And some of them have really dark times, but God doesn't. There's no shadow of turning in Him. He's always good. He's always light. Everything and everyone that He has created is good. Is very good.